Welcome back. It's season two. I'm Sam. I'm Julia. And this is the 29 Hour Podcast season Season two two premiere. premiere. We are so excited this season to be talking to a whole bunch of exciting, smart, cool people about creating new work. And another thing we're doing new this season is asking you to rate and review us in the iTunes store. We would so love it if you did. Just stepping up our podcast game. Who are we talking to today? We are talking to the writer, Sarah Hammond. She's so great. Enjoy. It's going to be five stars, you guys. <laughs> so my, my college roommate, who's uh, one of the most inspirational people in my life, um, she is now, she runs like a consultancy thing. She, mm-hmm. she was in advertising and now she does vision board workshops with people and she emailed me this week and was like, Hammond, I need you at my vision board workshop. <laughs> she needs uh, like different people with different backgrounds mm. in the room because there's a lot of like you talk to each other and there's feedback. I've never done a vision board. Uh, I, although after doing one, I realized that the collages I did in middle school might have been vision boards. <laughs> oh. God, I hope my middle school collages were not vision boards because they were, I was obsessed with, I don't know why, like disembodied limbs. Whoa. I just thought that was so neat and weird. What did you do That's with those collages? <laughs> They're still in my high school room. Like, wow, I look like at on them the wall. I'm, yeah. I would do like dinosaurs. And it would be like this whole like scene, this panorama. I don't know. But uh, so like, so I went to this vision board workshop, which was all about just sort of clarifying your goals for the year. Mm -hmm. uh, It was very open-ended and I wound up making it, of course, all about the projects I'm working on and ephemera related to writing. Um, So, so we have zones on the vision board. Mine has zones too. Oh, you, you, I made one. I made one with my boyfriend right before New Year's. Just for yeah, he he's done them for a while, and he was like, "I wanted I want us to do vision boards for New Year's," and I was like, "Let's do it," and I loved it. Um, I might I might do them more. I have always, I often do. I don't know if this is a time wasting thing or an actual inspirational thing. It's probably slightly both, but I have always done like visual stuff when working on a project mm-hmm. that I'm in love with. Like that's part of the falling in love with the project is like sometimes it's drawing or scribbling or or finding the images that are associated with the sort of feeling of the project. Um, but anyway, so this is, um, let's see, so on my vision board, um, we have we have the, the wind-up girl corner, <laughs> which is this Aww. section. So it's, uh, the background is Amsterdam. And then there's this, like, there's a sketch from a Dutch painting that's standing in for Rene Descartes. <laughs> um, and the show is about Rene Descartes building, trying to build a robot version of his, of his daughter who passed away. Um, in the show, uh, the daughter is uh, the wind-up girl. She's a robot that he made. And she, um, they, they have these, like, conversations at night, and she sings to him and stuff. And, um, but so I have so this beautiful background of the, of the Amsterdam, Amsterdam Canal and the row houses there, and then, and then this sketch of this man that's Rene, and then there's a, a crash test dummy next to him, and that's, that's Francine. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's the wind-up girl, the little <laughs> crash test dummy. Because, um, you know, there weren't perfect little clockwork girls in the magazines <laughs> that were available at the vision board workshop um and then the there's like a robot hand and a man hand stretching out oh yeah oh, that's each pretty other perfect. and that's so that's laid on top of the on top and you know i feel like the show should feel like kind of like a collage like then and now and not like oh. some sort of perfect mm. history thing so yeah i have a question I, re- I think i saw on your website based on a true story what part of that is true 
the true part is that there was a Rene Descartes, <laughs> <laughs> the philosopher. Um, and we know that he, as a hobby, he would build automata, which are huh. the like clockwork moving creatures, like like a, a, a duck that you could wind up and wow. it would like open its mouth and quack or that sort of thing. We know he did that. And it is also true that he had a child who died. Um, and after she died, he did his best philosophical work. Huh. And then there's this legend that nobody has proven to be true. It's like this legend that sprung up around the idea of Rene Descartes that that he built an automata that was her, that was named after her, and that he brought with him everywhere. And that this is not fact, but it's an old, old, old legend. Wow. Um, so we took that old, old legend and went, well, like, what was that relationship like? Yeah. And, um, you know, he's, he's known for being, like, the founder of, of rational thought mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was, uh, it, I, it just seemed, I, I love when something totally irrational happens with a person yeah. who's supposed to be rational. I love Wind Up Girls so much. Aww. I was so excited that those new tracks went up on SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Will made some great demos. <laughs> <laughs> um so we're still working on that, and that's this is on my vision board in the corner because this is the project I have to complete a draft of in the next few months. Um, uh, we have a draft, but it's it's missing some crucial numbers at the moment. You um, guys did something with it in St. Louis. We did. Or we had a reading in St. Louis. Nice. At St. Louis Rep, which was so useful. We sort of found the ending, the real ending. We had we've had several different things that said the end, but and we've changed sort of the events of that each time and. This time we found kind of just the right ending gesture, which means now we have to write a closing number. That goes <laughs> um, Openings and closings are so hard. They, f they feel yeah. so weighty to me. Right, you have to really know what the show is at that point. And if you're inventing the story from the beginning, that's, uh, that's harder to do. <laughs> I guess sometimes that, that's the way in, if you know that thing first, mm -hmm. but never with mine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the way in with yours? With musicals? Yeah. With writing musicals and coming up with imaginary stories? I don't know. It's so, I, it's so, it's different every time. Yeah. Um, I usually actually, it's, it's kind I have this weird process where it's like, it's like better if I don't look at it, <laughs> what I'm doing, it's better if I don't try to control it or like mm. explain mm -hmm. it. So like, cause when I think of the projects I've actually started and carried through, um, they were not the projects that I sat down and went, this is the great project I'm going to write. There mm. were things I was writing on the side that somehow turned into the project that I spent 10 years <laughs> of my yeah. life on. Huh. Um, but, but it is usually an image, though. There's usually some image that has some really evocative theme embedded in it, um, like with String, the musical about the Greek fates that I wrote with Adam Kwan. Um, in that musical, uh, the just the basic image of who the fates were, which is that there are these three goddesses who are sisters who do all their work together, and their work involves uh, make uh, spinning, measuring, and snipping the thread of human life. And I think I had seen a picture of the three of them holding a string, like they're each mm -hmm. holding a piece, th this one piece of string all their hands are on it and just these three women holding a string and the string is supposed to be a life um i was just like that should be in a show <laughs> but i just i just sort of started writing like little kind of scenelets yeah. for it and to, to find the characters to invent the world and um that tumbled into a, a much greater project later down the road i i started that before 
I ever thought I was going to write musicals. Right. Um, and then Adam and I took that and turned it into a musical. Um, and the Descartes project that is now the thing taking over my life. Um, it was also, I, I read, I read, I read in a book about robots. I read this legend about Rene and Francine and, uh, his robot. Um, and I thought, that seems weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just, it seemed weird. And of course it's also, it's much more than weird. It's full of like incredible, uh, grief and, um, grief and hope that the grief associated with the, the death of the daughter and then the hope inherent in trying to build another and you know uh, huge emotions which you need for a musical yeah. um, and history that you know it's a little window into a part of history that we might not look at and uh, a man whose name a lot of us know but we don't know a lot about him yeah. all these things that I didn't think through when I started right mm. it was it was more just the thing of like picturing the man sort of working on the working on the the project uh the little the gmail little the uh -huh. um the great the great project of mm. the the girl that he wanted to make wanted to bring back um yeah i don't know they're all different though uh. the, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that do you find that julia are they that where where do the projects start for you? Gosh, I mean, from a music end, I feel like luckily I get to inherit, you know, from yeah. whoever I'm writing with the great idea. Yeah. I do find it, I never go seeking out the images. Like, I don't think of myself as super visual, but I do find, like, Gordon will often associate something with, like, a color or an yeah. image which will describe verbally even, mm -hmm. and that is helpful. Yeah. I think it, it, that helps a ton with collaboration. If yeah. you're making up a story from nothing and you don't have a source to look at together, you have to somehow create a shared space. Yeah. So it's like people who sort of inherently work that way with sort of creating sort of the extra stuff around the script that can be useful. And you're right. It's nicer also like if you don't have identical vocabularies and you don't want to be overly prescriptive yeah. to, you know, to communicate something about what you're trying to say. Yeah. Amazing. Based on, you were said earlier about, you know, transitioning into, like, musical theater writing. I'm curious sort of how you think about that, you know, being a playwright who then was, like, who's now writing quite a lot of musicals <laughs> and if that feels different and how purposeful that was. Huh. Well, so, yeah, I came to New York as a playwright, and then I was in the Dramatist Guild Fellows program, which is a mentorship program for playwrights and musical theater writers. I guess all your listeners are like super musical theater fans, so I don't have to explain all this stuff, right? I was in there as a playwright, and the other half of the room was these, were these young musical theater writers, including my now collaborator, Adam Guan. And I just remember each, each uh, every two weeks we would meet, and the playwrights would present one time, and then the next two weeks later, the musical theater writers would present, and like their meetings were always so great. <laughs> I loved their meetings. I loved like, you know, anytime you're working with just words and then somebody brings music into mm. the world, it's just so different. It's like you were living in black and white and then it's in color. What like can you like describe the difference? Well, that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but like <laughs> like how it felt in the room. Um Oh, it was just like like the show was actually happening huh. instead of us just sort of sitting and reading something. And um, also just the nature of songs, they kind of are their own little package. Yeah. And with the plays we were bringing in, sometimes a scene or a monologue might work that way, but mm. not usually. Yeah. So that's true. Um, and I always had that worry of the opposite. Like when I've worked, the rare times I've worked with someone who is, you know, 
a playwright doing their first musical thing, I have this big fear that they're going to feel like the music I'm bringing in is sort of like not cheapening it, but, you know, like making it something that it's not. Right. Which, which can happen. Yeah. Yeah, which can happen. <laughs> um, yeah. It's hard. That is, I mean, my first experience was watching other people do it without having to subject my own words <laughs> to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that probably helped the when I wound up actually doing it later. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, it's also like the first time I wrote a play, um, the very first time actors read the script to mm -hmm. me, that was hard. So it's like a, a bigger version of that. Um, just this thing that you've cradled yourself and you hear it a certain way. And, and of course you, you, you probably sat down and wrote it because you heard, you heard the lines in your head, you knew those people in your head, or, yeah. um, if, if, if it was for music, you heard some sort of music, even if not the exact, like, uh, like rhythm or something you heard, maybe even just the feel of the music. But of course you're not the one going and doing that. Yeah. So then somebody else does it and they're going to bring their personality and their thoughts and their feelings to it. And yeah. it's just, they're not you. So it's different. And it's getting used to that at the beginning is a shock. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but um, I don't know. Yeah. And I found, uh, I wound up writing a musical with Adam from that group um, a year after, a year or two after we were in the group together. Um, oh, I'm trying to answer your question about the slide from playwriting into, and I think at the beginning, right at the, uh, when we started, it was very hard, even though I loved the songs he was writing. Um, getting used to the idea that the songs have a different power and a different direction than the script does, mm -hmm. no matter what. Even if they're doing the story points you wrote, the fact of the song is just, it's like three-dimensional. Um, and the character can't say as much and can't have all the thoughts that you wanted them to have. Mm. <laughs> and, like, they can't. I, I mean, the music can convey the subtext of their feeling, but playwrights aren't always just writing feelings. Like, you might be writing, like, characters saying a lot of contradictory things in a scene. Yeah. And the, all those things might be important to you, like the journey of the, the beats, like, because, like, somehow... If it went from point A to point B to, B to point C to point D to point E, and then they said, I love you, then you don't feel like it's a cliche because you had all those interstitial mm. points. Mm -hmm. But then someone writing the song has to just write the I love you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's possible they do it in a way where you have to lose all those other interstitial points. Uh -huh. Just to be devil's advocate. How come you think the song can't hit all those points? Well, it probably can. It's This is, I mean, it's an abstract uh, thing we're talking about right but yeah. it, it's more like the 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 fact of the way you wrote it down in the scene mm -hmm. is not likely to all be in this the song it wouldn't be a good song <laughs> on the song we actually do have there was one song in string that adam and i wrote that um i mean he wrote the song but the show that we wrote um where he really faithfully captured all of the beats of a scene that I wrote. And we held on to that song for a really long time until the final production in Seattle. And that was where we cut it. <laughs> um, because at that point it was clear that the song was just not as appealing to people as it was to us. And it was cause we knew what, an, what a grand exercise it had been for mm -hmm. him to take the scene that I had written and kind of capture all of the beats between these two characters in this sort of, um, duet in a stairwell that they're having. Um, this is um, 
the Snip Snip yeah, Love song in Act good. Two. <laughs> <laughs> huh? <laughs> you wow. remember that one where they, yeah, they wind up having this crazy couple fight yeah. in Act Two, and um, but it starts with like they haven't seen each other in months, and he, they discover so there's the whole discovering each other, and then running up the stairwell, and the, there are these several power shifts of yeah. who's in charge, which is a big part of like how a song works, like who has the power, who whose emotion is driving the song, and huh. um, he really deftly navigated having that the power shifts happen and still have it be a cool musical sequence yeah. that was a song but it was just it was really long <laughs> <laughs> and um and there were other reasons we had to cut it the ultimately we've changed actually what happens in the mm-hmm. show at that point we have totally different emotional things happening for the characters now um Anyway, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's it's, interesting it's just, to think about. It's all—it's like physics or something. <laughs> figuring out how words and music go together, and how your own personality and psychology and process goes with that. So how? Yeah. So how did you get to a point where at first you're sort of like, I'm not sure how this is working. To now, I mean, hopefully you're a little more comfortable. Well, <laughs> doing—I mean, basically, I learned it writing string with Adam, and he's such a patient and generous collaborator that like we he wrote a lot of songs for stuff that I had written that we wound up having to cut because I realized oh the story has to move very differently Mm -hmm. if it's a musical I have to like I have to make things happen more and faster (laughs) (laughs) and they have to stop for the song and and the point should be the song which I always like felt was important but it was hard to actually grasp that inside and I had to do it I had to do it with him and, and ha- read it a lot, like read mm-hmm. it and experience it and hear the song, read the dialogue and hear the song. And, you know, it's this a sort of thing that um, was easier to figure out in practice than by like rules or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, and uh, along the way, I also wound up doing the composer librettist studio at New Dramatists with a, uh, Roger Ames and Ben Krywaj. I love that. I also did that and yeah. I loved it so much. Well, that's the first place where I actually wrote lyrics. Um, and I had seen your presentation oh. of that um, years before. So I had a sense of like, what is that? No idea. <laughs> There's a ghost in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I saw the songs, the great songs that you wrote with oh. Jason Grote. He's and, so great. Uh, and God, who else was in that? Rina. Rinna Groth. Yeah. Which song did you write with Rinna? Rinna and I wrote this epically long song about peeing. It was called. Was it in free, yoga I class? Um, no, <laughs> although I remember the one you're talking about. <laughs> it's a great workshop because it yeah. throws together, you just get to experiment. It's five playwrights, five composers, five actors thrown into a workshop together for two weeks, and you get to create songs with clear deadlines and clear mm-hmm. assignments. And you get paid to be yeah. there. <laughs> what um, a dream. And you get to care a lot about what you're doing without having to worry about the consequences. Like yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that's it almost felt like it emphasized like the collaboration over the result. Right. Yeah. yeah. And thinking about what the co- all the all the things Ben would say about like what collaboration is and how mm-hmm. it's like a marriage and that there's no perfect collaboration. Like everybody thinks they're aiming for the perfect collaboration, but actually all collaborations move back and forth and from moments of conflict to moments mm. of triumph and all that just ways of thinking. Uh, that was, it was, I, I mean, all of us playwrights in my group found it uh, inspirational just for life <laughs> beyond yeah. whether you wanted to write musicals or not. It's just such like, such great detailed talks about like how to navigate 
conflict and failure. And, and I do feel like surprisingly <laughs> great work came out of it. Like, yeah. I'm realizing now that I did that 10 years ago, and I can still, like, sing you so many of the songs oh, that people yeah. wrote in that thing. Oh. 10 years ago, wow. Yeah. yeah, mine was, I think we did it four years ago. And I, I, re- I mean, I was the performer, so I remember performing a lot right. of them, but I could I remember, remember a the lot other. of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> a lot of the other ones, too. I ran into um, one of my other actors from it a couple months ago, and we were reminiscing about Aww. which ones were our favorite. Aww. She and I had this, like, number where um, she was playing a customer service um, representative, and I was, like, calling in and, like, being a total asshole <laughs> about, like, something. <laughs> so, and, like, great. Just that's in amazing. Time. And then it ended with her... Like having to um, sing the recipe for Kraft macaroni and cheese. <laughs> and then she had to sort of like riff as she was doing it. And then I joined in riffing. So we like had this like random moment where we just got to like riff on the Kraft macaroni and cheese recipe. Oh, that's um, amazing. That's what happens at the composer of the studio. <laughs> no, that's one of the things I loved about it too that really worked for me was that you know the actors you're writing mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. So there's this set of limits for and, and an inspiration, both. Yeah. Because it, it pushes your brain into a place it wouldn't have gone if you were just writing your usual imaginary people. Mm-hmm. For me, it did that. Yeah, and they have one week where they even give you a special assignment just for you, right? Because yeah. I remember Roger, I think mine was writing a piece, because for me, so much of my material lives in the accompaniment, and I had to write a three-person a cappella song. <laughs> and it was so hard and so weird. <laughs> I can't wow. remember what my challenge was. I just remember I agonized over it. And I was like, why did you? I was trying to figure out why they gave it to me. Like yeah. what what flaw they perceived in yeah. me. <laughs> and oh they were ultimately, man. they were just like, listen, it's just a, it's, I don't, we just came up with something. Can we shift gears a little bit? Please? And because like the day that we're recording this, um, <laughs> it was announced that Sarah won the Kleban Award. Yay. Um, that happened. How are you feeling? <laughs> I mean, I'm. I, I don't know. Yeah, you have to figure out how to how to respond to all the text messages, right? Yeah. So the yeah. how many texts have you gotten today? I, I mean, not that many. Lots of Facebook messages, yeah. but like I feel like my responses have been like gradually changing and developing into like a good response <laughs> <laughs> over the course of the day. And I was like, oh, that could be a, a hook for a song. Yeah. Um, you know, this thing about that I think a lot about like songs are different emotions, and like when you're writing a lyric, you have to channel some emotion, and I. I just sort of maybe have a kind of default mood that I'm in, and <laughs> sometimes all the songs are in the same <laughs> mood. And I have to like find more like emotional registers, like huh. consciously think about them. And today I was like, oh, so happiness. <laughs> all oh. right, I think I've got some words for happiness now. <laughs> like what I would actually say when happy. <laughs> like, I mean, I have been so I have been happy, but <laughs> it's it's a when you win an it's like a a, a peak experience in, yeah. in in one's emotional range in life probably and 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 it's like defined by one moment instead of just sort of a right uh, state you're in for a while <laughs> so um yeah it's a good day uh it, um yeah it was really it was a big surprise i've been applying for years since since adam and i finished the first draft of string i've been applying in the in the librettist category with string um, and I've gotten close a few times because they tell you if you're, or they used to tell you if you were a finalist. Um, but alas, it was not to be. And um, and this year, bizarrely, I won in the lyrics category with <laughs> not like, bizarrely, not yeah. bizarrely, but I don't know. I, I guess I think of myself as a playwright who writes musicals, um, even though I have you know gone to school to learn about <laughs> lyric writing and um, and I have written what. 
two and and three quarters of complete musicals where I wrote the book and the lyrics. Um, but since I spent so much time working with Adam on string, I think of myself as a book writer, really. Um, but now I'm, I, I'm shifting that in my mind because um, the the thing that won the award was the the lyrics for um, from from Wind Up Girl and from Pete the Cat. Pete it the was cat. a combination of songs about um, a cat and his boy, <laughs> <laughs> and songs about a robot and her dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you showed great variety. I yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 overall sort of feel of the two musicals is greatly different. Although I guess the basic sort of quirky factor of the mm. two is, is is. But even their quirkiness, they feel quirky in a different way to me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, with with the Descartes project, uh, which I'm writing with Will Aronson, he's the composer. He's uh, I wrote both those shows with Will Aronson, but with the Descartes project, he's he's working really hard to try to find a sound that is neither historical nor specifically any genre of now um, and familiar and fun and, you know, uh, well, sad, moving, emotional, but still fun. <laughs> God, musicals are so thing. hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, because the, the sort of, the big mission that Descartes embarks on to build the robot should feel like something we're interested in joining in on, even though ultimately it's this huge expression of grief, right? So it's, we're walking a fine line emotionally and, um, and we want her to feel like a real girl and sort of somehow ahead of her time mm -hmm. because she's like this robot <laughs> who also was the daughter of a philosopher who, um, in, in our creation, she has all her own great philosophical thoughts. And mm -hmm. um, in, in 1640, that was maybe not the usual place of a young woman. Um, but our Francine just, like, doesn't care and goes around, you know, coming up with philosophies and things anyway. Um, so we're trying to capture, like, all that in the music. It's a tall order, and I think Will is doing a great job. And that's very different than the what the music has to capture in a show about a cat and his boy in Pete the Cat. Intended for young audiences. Intent that, has, mm -hmm. that has to keep five-year-olds entertained. Yeah. Like, they do not care about the dramaturgical, <laughs> like, things we're trying to do, you know? It's like the songs basically need to keep them bouncing. Yeah. <laughs> that was the um, whole, I remember with um, Under the Couch. Yes. It was like... All of the adults were like loving the song, right. and every time it would start, the kids would be like, "Okay." That <laughs> song. Oh, right. We had to change the verse. We 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 still have the song in yeah. the show, but we rewrote the verse completely. The right. verse that began it, that because they got into it once the chorus happened, but we had this like really thoughtful verse leading into the chorus mm -hmm. that I loved. It was music first. It was a little melody that Will came up with to try to meet the mandate to set to write something that sounded kind of Beatles-ish mm -hmm. <laughs> and I wrote words to it and I and I love when there's when I can, when we can do that sort of thing where I get out of my own patterns mm -hmm. um but it's it's a really clear melody and the rhymes fall in totally different places than they would if I were just writing a lyric oh, and and fun. I loved that and and we had to we had to throw away <laughs> that thing because it was too slow paced for the five-year-olds mm -hmm. they would start like zipping up their coats and asking to go to the bathroom <laughs> But in the clay band application, the old version of the song is actually what was in the because uh -huh. that's the only one we have a demo of. And, <laughs> and it's because it's what like adults like, like yeah. respond oh, to. Oh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it's a very it's a very exciting wow. day. I don't really yeah, know what wait, to do so with myself. It's really interesting to hear you talk about like you always think of yourself as a book writer and not as a lyricist, and this has like helped you like shift in your yeah. mind a little bit. Yeah, like I guess I I can take myself seriously. <laughs> Like I mean, that's always the thing, right? Dealing with one's own imposter syndrome oh, sure. in any arts yeah. thing. Um, so it's like very and, and validating. I mean, I just have a really weird resume. It's like I'm a playwright, I'm a book writer, I'm a lyricist, I, you know. Um, but I guess I decided today to embrace the idea that like I write shows, um, whatever kind they are. And I think like, because I want to write more plays. And I haven't done that in a while because I've been writing musicals. And, but uh, I'm just going to sort of, do what I can do at any given <laughs> moment and, and part of that depends on you know the availability of collaborators and that's yeah. another reason it's it's nice to be able to write plays like I'm so jealous of all the composer lyricists who can just like sit down and like write songs write a song cycle or you know write a show that's a song cycle or something um I guess I can do that as a playwright <laughs> I can just write a play yeah. I just can't have music um yeah, so was that your question? What were you Yeah, saying? I mean, I guess we had another uh, guest who talked about, like, an experience where he won an award and it was, like, extremely transformative for him. Mm -hmm. And maybe that was clearer in hindsight, too, because yeah. it had been years by the time that we talked to him. But, uh, like, does it, like, I guess I'm curious, like, well, in the moment, how it's feeling. because there is a difference. I, I have not yet written, I've written one good standalone song. Um <laughs> The all the th I've written songs and good songs for shows, um, but but they are all deeply like, you know, part of the show. Yeah. And and all and there's almost no solos. They're almost always multiple people. Like have a real hard time whenever anyone asks me to put a song up in a cabaret mm -hmm. or something because we have to like mm -hmm. teach more people the music than usual. <laughs> um, um, and they're almost always doing some sort of dramatic work within yeah. the context of a show, and they require explaining the context. And it's usually some super weird idea, like a philosopher and, and his robot daughter, <laughs> that takes a lot of talking. And that's I, that's a very different skill that's more related to playwriting, probably, and than um, than being able to write a standalone song like a pop song. Yeah. That is what the like the like true real like complete lyricists do yeah I, I think I have like the ability to write lyrics and I am a lyricist for the theater but um I still uh I couldn't just sit down and like spit out a an idea for a song is that something you you want to do maybe yeah I'd have to do it with a composer though I think yeah even to write songs that might not be attached to a show I would still need um the input of the composer along the way and and to sort of have a sense of like what kind of sound we're doing or what the like some musical phrase to to hang it on and i know they say you can just sort of do that on your own with some fake thing but hmm. um <laughs> i i find it I, I part of the reason i'm in this now is that i find it easier to work when i have another person to talk out the ideas with and work things yeah. out with um so huh. but i would I, I you know it would be amazing to be like some pop songwriter or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give myself a challenge to write some pop songs. Wait, I'm really curious about what you just said because like, you you spent like you were a playwright before you like yeah. wrote collaboratively. Was that like a happy accident to find out that like you really like it having was. someone to bounce it ideas was. off? I mean, or? maybe it helped that I was like very good friends with the person I started with, uh -huh. and he's the most patient person. <laughs> Adam, Adam Guan like has you know he's worked with a lot of different collaborators. And he has a lot of friends. He's just one of those people who's 
very live and let live with other people and he's very good at letting his own voice shine in the context of somebody else's voice which mm. is a good sort of eases you in as a <laughs> right yeah. um uh so, uh, but, but it was, I found that, yeah, I got, I got really used to, you know, having story meetings and, uh -huh. um, we would read the scenes together and we both really enjoyed playing all the parts. And <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but you didn't like look for a collaborator because you were like, I think I want someone to bounce ideas off. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was more that we knew each other and liked each other and I loved musicals. Yeah. Um, I have always been a, a super fan of musicals like in college my roommate, the one I did the vision board with today, she was listening to like Bjork and Tori Amos. And, mm -hmm. and then when she wasn't there, I was playing mixtapes that had like the interstitial music from Into the Woods yeah. <laughs> mixed up with like... What, like two so minutes like, gone, yeah. two minutes yeah. gone. <laughs> like, I, don't, it was like, I remember she came in once. So it was like there was this like war of music in our dorm room and she came in once and she was like, I just don't understand the songs you choose for yeah. these mixtapes because they're not... They're not like the songs that are the point. <laughs> in the show. So why do you think you were picking interstitial? I, know, I just really love the like those like uh, the moments. I think it was these moments in at NYU we would call them extended sequence mm -hmm. moments or like the the thing that is like gliding you into the song. Um, I I don't know. I guess I maybe I innately love the challenge of the mm. like it's not the catchy hooky. This is, uh, which doesn't bode well for then writing standalone songs later. <laughs> but it's but like, it's what you do is like, you, like you're occupied with the storytelling. And yeah, like, I, I'm always also drawn to those types of songs I too. I love in any kind of theater, the moment when the character really comes out and you go, ah, that's who that is. Mm. And I think in musicals, actually, a lot of the times that's in those like wobbly moments in between the mm -hmm. songs, like when they're struggling with something before they arrive at the main thought. Mm. Um, Do you think it's more nuanced? Maybe. Uh, maybe. I mean, I also, and now my tastes have changed. Now I, I do, like, but this was sort of this weird thing of, like, being a freshman in college, <laughs> obsessed with musical theater. And, and I was in South Carolina. Like, nobody, nobody there. It was not the sort of school where there were people walking around writing musicals or, mm. you know, I was, I was, some people listened to them, but um, uh, it, it was not, it was not like the Northeast. <laughs> or like, um, so... So, you know, I was sort of an outlier with my little, my little hobby, but I thought of it as a hobby. I, I didn't think of it as something I was going to go and do. Cause I, I don't, I don't do music. Um, I would, I, I stage managed plays. Um, I did a lot of stage managing in college. Oh yeah, you do. Yeah. I think that's the best way to learn yeah. how theater works. You see everything and yeah. you still get to really feel like you're contributing. Yeah. And yeah. And like seeing how it's made and, yeah. and the repetition that you're seeing the show every night and you're there from the for the whole rehearsal process you yeah. have like a in your bones a sense of like how theater works um i think that's i i i always say like to students who ask me like what to do to learn more about like writing i like stage manage <laughs> or go get a job in a national park or huh? something that is like totally unrelated to theater and writing <laughs> where you're gonna meet weird people mm. one of those things mm. <laughs> That's fun to think about all the jobs where you could like maximize weird people. Oh, totally. Or just different people, you know? Um, yeah. Um, what was I, I was answering some question you asked that I got really far off. Oh no, I think <laughs> I, like, um, that's what I like to hear the meandering thoughts. The like meandering any question thoughts. I'm asking is 
to try to spark something in your brain to go off on a... I feel like that's a key to collaboration. Yeah? <laughs> is being able to have meandering conversations huh. that wind up sparking something yeah. in somebody's brain. Because usually the breakthroughs happen when you're not looking for them. But mm-hmm. you have to create the space where you are always talking. Yeah. So that then the, the, the conversation you had yesterday somehow gets solved in the talk about falafel today (laughs) (laughs) that's so difficult for me i'm so directional i agree that that's true (laughs) but i feel like i really have to trick myself into yeah it's i mean letting go you know everybody doesn't have the time for that that was easier when when people were like single and just like Mm. living for their work and Uh, i'm trying to think how it translates to acting though because i like i think it's true like if i'm in a rehearsal and it's like okay in this moment you know you're gonna like what you're trying to do is like this and i'm like frozen like i can't think of any but then like i'll go home and like sleep on it and i'm like oh right i could you know like it doesn't it like if you're like if you're picking or like like you know picking at something like you might just like freeze and like your mind might go blank but like if you just sort of like let it breathe it's probably easier (laughs) to sort of like that's what a rehearsal process is for i guess yeah that's hard to remember from the other side of the table no and from this side of the table too actors have to have their subconscious things of overnight in between yeah and it might not happen in the day that you're working on yeah (laughs) and but but that's really tougher (laughs) at least for me as an actor too because it's like this is the rehearsal time allotted to like block this number or whatever Mm. you know and it's like oh i like don't know what to do and it's like am i wasting everyone's time right now Mm. no of course not maybe because it's always (laughs) just like a series of sketches rehearsals yeah you know um and that's it's helpful to think of it that way and not as like this is the time i have to get this right (laughs) oh no yeah (laughs) some people need to not get it right until the show yeah the emotional part like mm. figuring out the blocking and everything yeah <laughs> does have to happen i've yeah. definitely been witness to those people in rehearsal rooms where yeah. i'm like do they are they here what well, are they doing so and then they different. turn it on the moment there's an audience when the audience is there yeah. everything's different yeah yeah like sometimes some people just can't manufacture that yeah that. it would be like weird or it would take it away or yeah something Theater is so weird, it's man. So weird. I don't know how we don't all go insane. All <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just it's so many too difficult goals to <laughs> to reach. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet it's so wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, it's almost incredible that like we ever put anything up at all. Yeah, that anything works. So we ever yeah. put up anything good? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's all people. It's all just people doing like things humanly. <laughs> yeah which is why it's great yeah but so weird to make things from scratch hmm. <sighs> what else is on your vision board what else is on my vision board um so there's the whole descartes section uh-huh. with the crash test dummy and the dutch guy um i have a a quote from a marketing book that i'm going to take into this year going forward um sometimes design and art direction just get in the way if someone spent too long agonizing over a layout or picking a typeface, the viewer can often tell. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, because part of my goal is this year is to try to write things faster. Mm. Um, and I think I have been agonizing over some things. Um, lyrics, I tend to have to like sit and agonize over for a while. But there are some that just like the chorus just came out. Yeah. It just came out. And like we had to write a song for Pete the Cat. Um 
where we had to figure out a different moment. And I was sitting in the auditorium in Queens at, in between shows when um, like a thousand five-year-olds had just watched it and, and the artistic director had been like, are you going to find a new, you have to find a new song for this woman. And, and I was like, okay, I know I'm working on it. And we were all stuck there in some part you can only drive to of Queens. <laughs> um, and in between the shows, so I was just sitting there with my notebook sort of just scribbling. And I just wrote like six words. And Will looked at the notebook and he was like, that's it. I'll set that. <laughs> What were and, the six words? Um, and that became, it's part of a larger sequence, but the essential like kernel melody of the song is um, uh, Jimmy has just, Jimmy, Pete's friend, has just discovered that he can let all his inhibitions go and he can like, he can paint a painting, which is what he's been trying to do the whole show. But he's been like, I can't paint a painting. It won't be perfect. And, um, and then in this moment he goes, oh, what a view. I totally see. Suddenly everything's beautiful to me. And it's like, oh, oh man, what a magic world. Whoa, oh man, what a magic world. Yeah, it's a magic world. <laughs> or something like that. It's, 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 it, and, it, and it's not as like ticky-tacky as I just said it. Um, <laughs> it's set to music. It doesn't go, yeah, he doesn't go, everything's beautiful to me, like I just said. <laughs> like it's like a child's poem. Um, but it was, it was the like, um, what did I say? What were the first words? Uh, I didn't. Oh, what a world? Oh, what a view. Oh, what a view. Look at that! You're totally right. Hey, everything's beautiful. I don't know. I can't remember. I haven't seen the show in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Oh, what a view! I totally see. Suddenly, everything's beautiful to me, and it's like, whoa! Oh man, it's a magic world. Whoa! Oh man, it's a magic world. That's essentially mm -hmm. what the the and it's very it's much shorter than things I would usually write, and I think I didn't have the repeating thing when mm -hmm. I just wrote it in my journal. I just had it ending with, and it's like, whoa! Oh man, it's a magic world. Once and I love you that. know when Will said it, he put that twice and it was a course mm. <laughs> and, you know, and if I'd sat and tried to work on it longer I probably would have like but done like 10 mm -hmm. little stupid rhymes and uh, some other thought <laughs> some tangential thought do you have a, like an opinion on because I too are like I feel like I have the two modes of like lab laboring over something and the idea of like oh it just came right out do you judge one as like how do you compare the two well I don't think we're allowed to <laughs> because you have to do the work regardless right you have to make the work in whatever way but I, I, and so the product is going to come sometimes from the one thing and sometimes from the other. I think more often from the sitting down and trying real hard. That's my experience. And and, and I think those accidental moments of wow, it happened, only come because of the sitting down and trying hard. Huh. Mm. Um, like you have to make the space for the lightning to strike by oh, doing a I lot love of work. That. In my mind, um, I mean, I say that I, I don't always do it. <laughs> 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 but I do I do think that's true and I think most most things you'll read about creativity and writing say essentially that that it's like even if even if you go and sit at your desk and write nothing for three hours you have to do that mm -hmm. so that the next day when you go and sit at your desk you might write the paragraph mm. that, yeah. um yeah that's <laughs> this might be a dumb question but do you enjoy just like going and sitting down and like 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 the the opposite Scribbling. of like letting it all flow out like the like trying really hard do you enjoy that part of it sometimes i do sometimes i don't okay mm. um sometimes you know better what you're aiming for than other times uh-huh it's always better when there's some clear little quotidian task to fulfill um like uh i'm gonna move 
this song from page three to page 20 and then I have to solve some problems around that that are Mm. like logic problems but then in doing that I find that I can cut this monologue that I thought was so important or Uh um and that's that's way better than going I have to go make the show good or right. I have to right. go write my grand work. Right. <laughs> but it's like, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. Do you, ha- do you feel similarly? Or? Yeah, I feel like the moments when I feel most frustrated are where I feel like I keep doing a version of it. And I'm like, well, it's obviously not that. And it's like, well, I feel like artist. I'm never going to get the one that it is. And but and the like, one this that is you've done is like stuck me. in your head. Yeah. And you can't, there's no room for anything else. Or even that. I mean, that's not too bad it's just at some point you feel like you've exhausted every way you know how to do it mm. that doesn't happen to me that often but Who i hate it, it when um, it does was it some writer was it hemingway said you should always stop when you know what the next thing is that's hmm. when you should stop writing novels or whatever huh. and then the next day you have a place to start um mm. oh uh, isn't that weird? Yeah, I like <laughs> Instead that. Instead of just sitting down and like finishing the thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you can really apply that exactly to musical theater writing because it's such a different, like if you're writing a song, you have to finish the song too. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be like, I'm going to save that bridge for tomorrow because I know what it's going to be. Especially music. Like you can't, Yeah. you can't just go, I know what it's going to be. And like sometimes I get, like I'm, I'm, it's on my mind because it's like what I'm working on, like literally the song I'm working on right now. If it's too belabored, I sometimes worry that it feels sort of Frankensteinish. Like you solve uh. too many small problems, mm. and you're like, I guess these things all go together because they're all in the same song, but it doesn't feel like they have the same like organic like uh. origin. Mm. Which I can never tell if people like notice or not. Well, that sort of speaks to the quote on your right. vision board a little bit, sometimes right? Sometimes design and art direction just get in the way. But um, but you you don't compose by playing the piano, right? I compose at the piano. Oh, you do? I do. Oh. I mean, I don't play piano well, but I'm. I thought I you like were like a, like like a thinker. Like it comes from your. I brain. do a little <laughs> bit of both. I do like some thinky brainstorming. Yeah. But then to like figure out the specifics of how something's gonna work, I usually yeah need the piano. Oh. Yeah, I have no idea what it would be like to be a composer. It's so <laughs> many. It's so many different things that you're balancing all the time, and sometimes it helps to be someone who's just like. Oh, I'm gonna write a song. Yeah, <laughs> like those people. But I don't know. It's it's hard. It's, you, you guys are talented. You have math stuff and feeling stuff. <laughs> oh, well, so do you. I mean, you have all the logic stuff and feeling logic, stuff. Logic, logic. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Writing musicals is weird. Um, <laughs> what else is on? Let's see the vision board. I have. Um, well, I don't know if this could apply t- for for writing music, but there's a picture of a guy on a ladder um, at a tree, but instead of leaves, the tree has a cloud as it's like tree leaf area mm-hmm. and he's picking at the cloud. And I thought that was, uh, I thought that was a pretty image for what writing is. Oh, I love oh, that. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the person who goes up to the cloud tree and like goes into the cloud tree to get an idea. Aww. And above that, I have the te- text that I took from a magazine. It says the right to forage. So this year I'm going to give myself the right to forage for ideas and for things um, instead of always just trying to write the big show. Like I, I have the right to forage for um, random things or things that I don't know or the thing yet or like just characters, or moments. Mm. Um, all in the idea of sort of trying to create a fruitful mess from which some unexpected show might, <laughs> might come out. Which is why there's a guy picking, <laughs> picking from a cloud tree. Oh, it's fruitful. <laughs> so cool. Um, and then I have laughter on here. 
because I want everything should have should have laughter in it, even if it's a sad show. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think laughter opens the heart, right? It makes mm. the sadness more valuable. Um, and then I have a corner for the musical that I am supposed to start this year about astronomy that I don't really know mm. a lot about yet. So it's kind of a it's kind of a vague, but it's got a it's got a cutout of a of a woman like a cutout paper cutout woman running in a dark space. So I feel like that's maybe my lady astronomer mm. and um, and and uh, the the NASA logo. Yeah. <laughs> is this a Sloan Foundation? You think it is. It's nice. a Sloan commission that I am far far too late in approaching. So I ha- I have to write it this year. Um, so I don't know. That's some of the stuff on the vision board. I also have a like just a little bit in the middle that's about work life balance where it says art life love because um, uh, I think um, I've been in my life maybe spending much too much time just doing theater and um, mm-hmm. having sort of a life life outside of the theater seems to benefit the doing the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to try to try to manage doing both this year. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even it's important. cool. It's cool to see like it's cool to see on your vision board like your goals for writing. <laughs> Because I feel like we've talked a lot about like goals on the podcast, but I think they've sort of been like professional, like not not like goals for your work itself, but more goals career for like goals. your career and yeah. where it's going. I just feel like you can't control that stuff, so mm. I don't know how to. I yeah, mean, I, I feel like, similarly. Here's what I want to do in life, but uh, I don't know. I I wound up in musicals by accident, and when I turned thirty, which was a while ago, <laughs> I was like, well this is what I'm doing. So this is what I'm doing for a while. And I don't know what the noun is for what I, I am or um, at this point, but I'll just write the projects that call to me or that sort of have to be written because of some practical reason. Cause uh-huh. somebody's like, you have to write the show. Cause I gave you a commission. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, How do you feel about commissions? I've never had a commission and oh. I always wonder if it, in a way, it must be so freeing because it's like someone has already said up front that like they care about this thing, but is there also like pressure? Oh, I love them. Um, you can't make them happen, of course. So yeah. there's that. But <laughs> I mean, and I wouldn't be writing musicals if it weren't for that because oh, wow. um, uh, String was a commission to begin with. Yeah, huh. I had um, based on like my playwriting resume and Adam's resume, um, we got a commission to write the show, and, and the people who commissioned it didn't produce it, so we searched for many years later to, mm. to find um, a production. But there is a thing with um, musicals, with collaborations, where they never have to get done. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's just like two people's passions, and your passions might wind up colliding or conflicting. And it, there's so many reasons to put down the project along the way. It seems like not a real project for much of the time. Yeah. Um, but the commission basically made it such that we had to do it we had to complete it or like our egos would be bruised. <laughs> um, and you know, we wanted the little tiny chunk of money that was going to be the, you get, you get money at the beginning, you get money at the end. So you only get the end money if you finish the project. <laughs> <laughs> so like I, that's just unspeakably valuable. Even if it doesn't pay for your life, mm-hmm. it provides a practical concrete reason to finish the thing and to get through your own differences or your own apathy. Um, yeah. So I think they're great. Um, I mean, I guess it would be better if they always led to a production, but <laughs> I haven't had one of those. Well, theater works. Pete the Cat was a, 
they commissioned us to adapt the show so they could produce it, which they did. And that wound up being the fastest writing process I've ever had for anything. And it was, it was so incredibly valuable to write something from beginning to end and then see it go up on its feet and have an audience and have to do rewrites right away. It just, it felt like we were really doing theater instead of just pitching our show to everyone mm. which has, is what happens with the passion projects mm-hmm. um it That's was so gratifying to be really doing the job to be going what can we do to make this show better for tomorrow's audience that and that change has to happen tonight yeah. <laughs> the actors have to learn it in the morning <laughs> and um you know it felt like sort of the movies about what theater making is yeah yeah um, um, like people up in their hotel room on the road yeah I mean it was back in my Brooklyn apartment but mm-hmm. or like Will and me in the in the rehearsal studio at Chelsea Studios like at 11 wow. still working on making that song that one song replacement um and we would have to complete it whether we liked it or not so like if one of us was sort of not sold on the song it didn't matter it like happened and that was great <laughs> that was also interesting too to have so many audiences because I feel like a lot of times you are having conversations just with like your collaborators maybe the director about like does this work yeah. and if you get to see does this work immediately with a big audience yeah. right. it's like a different conversation and different audiences because like I've been a part of a lot of readings where it's like there's one presentation mm-hmm. and it's just like you're you're basing the audience response on who happened to be there that one day yeah yeah <laughs> true I'm yeah. trying to think of what our worst audience at Loneliest Girl was and what would it have been like oh if no. that had been our only audience. Oh, well, I don't think you were there for <laughs> yeah. like, okay, great. I mean, there were days when it was like <gasps> crickets and like, and then at the end of the show, they all seemed extremely appreciative, but like along the way, it was really hard to like, be like, I'm trying to tell you this story and I need you to come on this ride <laughs> with me, but it doesn't feel like you're there. But like they were there, they just like weren't. Quiet. Yeah, they were quiet, so they weren't like we seriously. weren't feeling their energy back. Yeah. That's um, funny. I wonder if with, with kids, is it the opposite? Like when they're quiet, it's like, oh, they're actually watching the yeah, show. That's what you want when, yeah, you want them uh, when they're yeah when they're when kids are quiet. That means they're paying attention, and then and then. But not the if they're quiet when they're supposed to be laughing. Hmm. Actually, no. It's a, it, with kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because because laughing actually it usually is more about um, their buddies and like oh, sort sure. of acting out in sure. the aisle. These are field trip groups. They're not with their parents. Mm. Yeah. And they don't laugh in the same way that adults laugh. <laughs> so right. like a laugh line actually like we had some things we had to change to make them differently funny so that we l- wouldn't lose the kids. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of the rules. Like we weren't allowed to have any potty humor or anything mm-hmm. in the show because it's for educational theater, but also because they can go so wild mm-hmm. that you can't get them back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those poor sweet kids <laughs> just like wanna, losing be, their mind. They think of it as like they think they're playing, right? Yeah. If if it's that, it becomes like they want to be sort of on the stage and like kind of dancing around. Like when we did workshops in the room. Um, you remember the workshop you were in Jill Abramovitz was in it yeah and her son came yeah and every time she appeared downstage he tried to like get on stage <gasps> with her <laughs> and we were in the rehearsal <gasps> studio so like he she was she right. was a foot away from him right. and, oh, wow. you know to him there wasn't that fourth wall <laughs> right. like, and I think a different version of that happens with real kids yeah. at the theater where if they feel like for a moment it's actually really 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 talking to them they're kind mm-hmm. of like gonna talk back yeah <laughs> oh my god so you have to like let those moments happen briefly but but control them mm-hmm. so we have um we found that they really looked at pete 
for guidance in the show. Mm. They follow him, even if the dramatic moment is somebody else. They're looking to Pete as the guide for how they should be feeling or reacting. Or, Interesting. Um, and so he, that actor always has to be sort of like treat his job as also like he's the MC a little bit. Huh. And, and huh. he has moments where he directs questions to the audience, hypo- uh, rhetorical questions that he's mm-hmm. asking himself. But he sort of kind of gives the audience a look while he's asking them. And sometimes the kids yell out responses. He's like, should I be a house cat? To himself. <laughs> uh-huh. Should I be a house cat? Should I stay in this house? Hmm. <laughs> And he sort of waits a sec and looks, and sometimes they shout out, no! (laughs) 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 Or like, yes, you should, of course you should. Um, But he's the one who sort of uh, also brings us back to the action. Anyway, so interesting. It keeps reminding me of this quote from this that Jonathan Taffin book, Here I Am, where he's like, "Kids are some of the best smilers and the worst fake smilers." (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's true. They don't fake smile at the theater. They just ask to go to the bathroom or start <laughs> like playing with their friends or just dancing. Yeah. They'll start dancing at a moment when there's no song happening because <laughs> like they're bored. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back, sorry, to bring it back to yes. uh, the the audience and like having the one shot and like if the, like because yeah. I remember when we did the um, the workshop of Loneliest Girl before the production in San Diego, mm-hmm. we also had a really quiet response yeah because it was a small audience and i remember being like oh my god are they gonna like not produce Uh, the show but but it was it was the same thing where they were just like quietly paying attention yeah so maybe it i don't know maybe there's always something to learn but it's not necessarily like they're like vocal responses also the goal of loneliest girl was not to be an uproarious farce true so well in parts it was yeah (laughs) right yeah i mean i mean you can't have a number called the anita bryant christmas spectacular (laughs) and not want the audience to be like loving it (laughs) i remember being terrified the very first reading of reb and vodka and me because the room was you know it's just sort of like super dark like sort of controversial thing about empathizing and identif- empathizing with like school shooters basically and for the first like five or six numbers i feel like people were just silent and i could not tell yeah what they thought yeah well because it's like it's a it's a type of thing where it's like am i allowed to be enjoying this yeah. mm-hmm. you know huh well and you have some like unique storytelling in in those songs right where people might be even just sort of working out what the rules are and yeah uh, who we're listening to maybe along the way i haven't i didn't see the reading but i saw some of your songs from it and you're 54 below yeah yeah no and i think your description is absolutely right there's like a lot of information that's coming at people Mm. sideways Mm. yeah but just yeah and now that we've done it a couple times a quiet audience doesn't bother me as much but that first time it was just like have we gone horribly astray yeah i think you're talking about the r&d one yeah i think we as the performers really appreciated it because we were performing to those tracks right and we just wanted to make sure we could hear them (laughs) that was so difficult i was losing my mind trying to figure out that like basic sound setup yeah yeah thanks for sharing your vision board I'm so glad it was useful. Wait, is there anything else on it? There's a picture of like a shoe on the side of the road. Ooh. It's a photograph of just this lonely shoe on this road. And um, and I have a, a, a quote from a magazine above it that just says, as you gaze out, 
and um, I, I don't know how that is going to be part of my year, but mm. I feel like there's got to be a show in this lost shoe <laughs> or something. Cinderella. Well, that, <laughs> that. It's, it's like a Converse shoe. So yeah, like that's Cinderella true. Cinderella and Converse or something. Didn't Jesse Mueller wear Converse in the park? Oh, did oh. he? <laughs> <laughs> it's Into the Woods. I'll just... <gasps> that's my Set favorite midnight show. Midnight Gone. <laughs> that's all, Rob.